Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, Hair Metal, Reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and oh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. All right, here we are, 80s Music Exposed. I'm Henry. I'm Chris. That intro gets, she sounds hotter every time. Does she really? <laughs> In the kitchen. It makes me, it makes me cringe worse every time. Ew. Yeah, and now with our new equipment, Henry, we actually have to listen to that every time. <laughs> it gets me in the mood now. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Yeah, it's November of 1981 again, Henry. Uh, can you believe it? Whew. You know, let's uh, tell people what we do on the show. We talk about a time before global pandemics, right? And before daylights. No, they had daylight. They had daylight savings time, back, time then. back then. Yeah. Um, but we do what we do is we talk about records from the 1980s. We do we take them one month at a time, and we review. Try to do five per month. Sometimes it goes over. Sometimes we do a double month. This is not a double month, right, Henry? This is that's a right. Single this, month. We, we're taking November all in one bite. Yes. This time. Um, and Henry, sometimes people wonder. Uh, we get text or tweet. We only get text. We get tweets about how do we pick the records. So I guess we ought to do that one more time, real quick. Okay. So we use a method that's called the Rags method. Rags method. R A G S. What's R stand for, Chris? Uh, that's the Rolling Stone five star reviews from the time period. Okay. And A. That is all music. There's a website called All Music that rates and reviews every record ever put out. If it gets five stars on there. We're going to fucking review it. That's right. And G? G, Grammy winners. The category that's turned out to be the weirdest and most wild card of all, which I didn't expect. <laughs> I know. I'm always like, look at that shit. <laughs> this one a Grammy? Well, the weird thing is, you know, I'm putting together, starting to put together our list for 1982. And I was uh-huh. like, well, I have to include all the Grammy winners. And then I looked and I was like, whoa, that's a, <laughs> that's a weird list. Henry, what's S? Stuff we like. You know, oh, stuff like that, that we, stuff we, we like put stuff for the kids, something for the kids, a little something, something <laughs> that we happen to know about that you probably should take a look at. Also, Henry, if you like our show or you like the records we are choosing, please rate and review it on iTunes. That's right. And you can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and share it with your friends. I mean, why wouldn't you? I would. Don't, of course. Don't be foolish. Yeah. And if you and if you want to chat us up on Twitter. I don't know how to do that, but if you want to, it's at 80SEXPOSED or 80smusicexposed at gmail.com. Chris's uh, personal Twitter handle is at TCI Duke. Is it? That's right. Wow. Henry's Twitter handle is at Hank G, H A N K G E E. I like that one. It sounds countrified. Henry, let's do some significant events from November 1981 to get people in the mood. This first one's really going to get people in the mood. I know. I'm really interested in this one. I, I've got to say, this is a slow month, okay? Sometimes it's a slow month. You're telling me nothing right. important other than this shit happened. Go ahead and lay it out there. So, hey, everybody. Guess what happened in November the 1st? <laughs> what happened, Henry? <laughs> the U.S. mail went from 18 to 20 cents. 
Henry, on November 30th, John Holmes was arrested on fugitive charges stemming from the Wonderland murders. Now, John Holmes is a porn star. Do you remember the Wonderland murders? Vaguely. Tell me something about it. Well, if you saw the movie Boogie Nights, that had a recreation, basically, of the Wonderland murders scene at the end. John Holmes, who had was down on his luck more than what you would say he normally was, uh, got a bad, bad drug habit and fell in with some really bad drug dealers doing all kinds of bad stuff with them. But apparently it was at the house when the Wonderland murder, bad drug deal went down, people got murdered, mm-hmm. and he was there. Henry, what were the top three movies at the box office in November of 1981? Superman 2, which, man, that movie. Is that the one with Richard Pryor? No. That was the one before that. I think Superman 2 is actually one of the okay ones, right? That's the one with uh, the three people that came, Zog and his uh, cohorts that came down and, and battled with Superman. I don't think I was a fan. People liked Superman 2. But Stripes was also Stripes. Bill Murray. And also Cannonball Run. Oh, man, I loved that. You can't beat Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise together. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm a Stroker Ace fan. That's what I mean. You put those two together. Stroker Ace is that that's the ripoff version. Well, it was just another another vehicle to put those two together. And Black Sheep was a ripoff of Tommy Boy. You're going to call Stroker Stroker Ace Ace a a ripoff of Cannonball Run? What I liked about those movies was basically the the whole premise of the Burt Reynolds Dom DeLuise relationship was Dom DeLuise would say something stupid. Burt Reynolds would smack him, would actually smack him like hard, <laughs> and it would make both of them laugh uh, uncontrollably. That was the basic premise of their relationship, and I loved it. It was it was R.I.P. Burt Reynolds. R.I.P. I don't is yeah. Dom DeLuise still alive? I don't know. I don't know. Look it up. All right, Henry. Let's uh, let's do what we came here to do. Let's do some album reviews. What do you say? That's what I say, Chris. What's this first record called? Okay, the first record is called "For Those About to Rock." We salute you by ACDC. And the song I want to play off of that, Henry, is called Snowball. So I'm really glad that you introduced it as for those about to rock, we salute you. Yes, but, but I prefer the 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 other title. Like I wish they just called it for those about to rock, like and left it with the dot dot dots. Well, it was just cut. It's you know it's got that cool mm-hmm. cover which with just the cannon on it, right. which looks right. dangerous to somebody to an adolescent probably <laughs> if you're like. You know what I mean? Ten or oh, this shit's got a cannon. They're gonna fire a cannon at your ass. Yeah, it was. You know? um, so this was basically my favorite album as a kid. Before I fell into the new wave. Oh yeah, this was it for me. Were you on board with it, or is, were you backwards? 
Yeah, I was. So this was this was that, that that's an interesting point which I wanted to talk about because mm-hmm. I was totally ready for this to come out when it came out. Okay. My problem was I thought the album before this was not Back in Black. I thought it was Dirty Deeds because oh. they had never released Dirty Deeds in the US, but they did after Back in Black because of the success of Back in Black. Oh. So I was confused that there was a Bond Scott record in between Back in Black and for those about it. to rock. And oh, I was okay. like, I know the guy's dead. I thought he died before back in... I was confused. <laughs> I was a little kid, so I wasn't sure. But it's weird because now Dirty Deeds sounds like 1980 to me. Really? And it was... I read on here, it was finished in 1976. But anyway, this one was my favorite, Henry. I liked it even better than Back in Black. And I know a lot of people don't. I do kind of think they are sister records. They're very Mutlang type mm-hmm. records. So, um, yeah, you know. I, and it is a little stupider, I kind of think. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was 10. So my uh, my album late to the ACDC thing, and I went back and listened to Back in Black, because everybody says, that's the one you should listen to. That's the greatest one. So I, the narrative always was that Back in Black was their best record. I barely knew this one even existed. And so I'd seen the cover of it, but didn't care enough, because I was like, okay, Back in Black's the only ACDC I really need to know. I still kind of believe that. You know? Um, I, I guess I don't because I, I love this one so much. I also think there's a weird thing where this album cover and the album cover to Back in Black are virtually the same artistic style. And and none, yeah. no other ACDC records have that just stark one color. Yeah, like didn't the other ones have like some cartoonish stuff on it? Yeah, like all the Bond Scott ones just had always had the band on the cover. You know what oh, I mean? Okay. Like where they had like, you know, some something like that. So this is, you know, probably only the second one that I've really given a deep listen to. And on like looking at it at first, it's almost... In my mind, it's like they said, okay, Back in Black was such a big success. Let's do that again, except give the people more of what they want. Yeah, and and it's interesting from doing my research, it really wasn't the band saying that. It was Mutt Lang saying that. Yeah, yeah, I read that too. And you can tell from what he did later on in his career. Obviously, I think a lot of people know he produced um, Def Leppard. But the, the one that blew my mind was he did all the Shania Twain records. Right. Which... I don't know. It seemed in a weird way like a natural progression from Def Leppard to me for some reason. But um, the, this this record, Henry, the interesting thing was I think the band itself, ACDC, I, I'd always, going back and listen to them, I'm always shocked at how uh, centered they are on what they do. They are just a power chord rock All band. Right, well, so here's and they're not really a metal band and they're not really a blues See, band. They're just like a super compact, tight, thick, heavy Rock band. So I'm going to challenge you and say it's okay for ACDC to stay the same. Why couldn't the Ramones? Because uh, the Ramones weren't as good as ACDC. Okay. Okay. Right. You're saying that ACDC was, had more components to them probably. Right? In my opinion. It, it was, yeah, yeah. And again, I probably get mugged on the street for uh, saying that. I think they deliberately added more sexual references. I do too. I think at at the time the venom. I can, but I can remember (laughs) in in sixth grade people talked about this record because the sexual references were a Mm -hmm. big thing, and And it was on the more on the nose. And this record was supposed to appeal to teenagers, right? See, yeah, but I found back in black like those were more classy. I mean, if you can call it classy, yeah, you know, like, I do too. I mean, it's a it's, it's a little less on the nose. It's iconic. One, it's I. It's definitely I'm colored by living through it. I, I definitely think most people would say Back in Black. I the think I'm record. totally colored by 
the narrative that's been painted by reading rock criticism on it. Well, and so I'm, I'm prejudiced towards it. So I, like even in my notes, you'll notice I called it Back in Black too. You know, right? And I, I could see that. To me, it is like a bookend with Back in Black. It is a little less serious. I think it is a little less serious with the references and the songs, uh, the lyrics. I do want to. I do want to make a couple quick points about it, Henry. I think uh, we talk about this a lot with U two, the Gibson sound mm-hmm. um, of early U two versus a Fender sound of later U two. If you want to know what a Gibson Les Paul SG is supposed to fucking sound like, <laughs> this is the band. So. Uh, a humbucking electric guitar pickup is angry, cranky, thick, and aggressive sounding. That is what Angus. In fact, I don't think Angus Young plays anything but uh, Gibson. I don't SGs. know that he. I don't know that he varies his guitars at all. I don't think. I he mean, does. he probably makes very small adjustments to his guitar. You couldn't do this music with a Fender Stratocaster. You you couldn't make these sounds. Uh, you definitely needed a Gibson. Uh, my second little story, Henry, uh, COD, Care of the Devil, the song. Yeah, what about that? Okay, so this was this is one of my bugaboo moments in the early 80s. I loved this album. I listened to it in my Walkman all the time. And, of course, uh-huh. I went to youth group class. And this is oh, the song. Oh, you were a believer back then. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah I forgot. I was more of a just I like to go because my friends were there. But. Yeah. My youth pastor was obsessed with this song and wanted me to destroy my tape uh-huh. over and over. How do you know every you week. had a tape? Because you just told well, him. Well, no, I would walk in with my Walkman to to youth group, and he, and he'd be like, "What's in? What do you listen to?" You know how youth pastors are always trying to be cool, and I'd be like, "Yeah, ACDC." And of course, he'd be like, "Oh, that that's the song Care of the Devil." Obviously, they're devil worshippers. At the time, it was a big conundrum for me. So I, this is the most coolest moment I ever had with my dad. I went home from youth group one day, and I said to dad, uh, they want me to throw this tape away and destroy this tape. And my dad sat down with me. My dad said, okay, do you like going to youth group? I was like, yes. He was like, do you like ACDC? I was like, yes. And he was like, do you think ACDC are devil worshipers? And I said, No. And he's like, do you want to worship the devil? I said, no. And he said, well, you bought the tape. Keep the tape and listen to it and tell that guy to stick it. (laughs) That was it. That's what my dad said. So I went with that. I went with that. I told the guy to stick it and leave me alone. I'm going to listen to my uh, ACDC. And so I went on from there. So, yeah, this this record holds a, a, a favored place in my heart. And believe it or not, Henry, it's held up. For me, yeah, I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I I really enjoyed it. I did too. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I am too. You? I'm going to recommend it. And and uh, Henry, do you have anything else you want to say about this one? I kind of dominated the discussion. No, no, you covered it really well. I said I, I said what I needed to say on that. All right, take us to our next record. All right, I can't believe we get to talk about this sooner in the pot. Like normally, I always load it at the back because right. Like I did this on. You purpose. have a tendency to to load us up. In the back, like to get so that we can we can really let it go, right <laughs> on it. But okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to consider uh, a band called New Order who did their album called Movement. Yes, and this and, is under the category of stuff we like, right, Henry? Right, and we're going to play part of a song called Chosen Time.
so sweet. Yeah, I was afraid I was going to let that one go the whole time. <laughs> you fucking block us. <laughs> so this is the, you know, I don't really consider this a debut album. I don't. Um, this is the same band that dealt with the death of someone. Joy Division, their lead singer, Ian Curtis, died. Well, let's, so let's, let's so, so for folks that don't know, and maybe there are some folks. So how did he, Ian Curtis die, Henry? Uh, he killed himself. How did he do it? I can't remember. He hung himself. He hung himself, that's right. And about a week before they were about to come to the United States to play their big first U.S. tour, he hung himself. And so they uh, you know, mourned all that and then started another band and called it New Order, which to me is the same band well, it's interesting you, you say that, Henry, because really they, they didn't stop very much at all. They, they took the sessions that they were working on for new songs with uh, Ian Curtis. That's, isn't that And they just kind of continued on. And it's almost, the, the legend of it is almost like the three of them were kind of angry and um, emotionally detached that they were, they were kind of, they didn't really get over it. They didn't really take time. They were just kind of like, all right, so. Now what? Now, he, now they didn't take time to regroup. They just kept plowing forward. They kept plowing I forward. I mean, we just considered Joy Division right. last year. Yes. Right? So, was yeah. it Closer? It was Closer, yeah. And still came out, which was right after Closer, um, like three weeks after Ian Curtis killed himself, uh, which was outtakes and live stuff um, that they'd called together. And then this, ready, this record was ready less than a year later. They kind of took turns singing. Um, the interesting part, and I think part of why I consider this a transition record, is I think both Peter Hook and Bernard Sumner are trying to sound like Ian Curtis instead yeah. of figure out their own voice. You can really, you can really hear that because the first song I actually thought was Ian Curtis. If they'd have taken the time like you thought they would have and regrouped and thought things out, they wouldn't have done that. But I think they their first instinct was. Okay, which one of us can sound just like Ian, and let's just keep going. A lot of New Order fans and Joy Division fans talk about is, would Joy Division have gone in this like disco, um, drum machine obsessed direction that New Order went into? And I, I say they would have because I think a lot of the songs on this record were already in the formulative stage. And they all became enamored with this club scene kind of sound. And you really hear it on the next record that I think Power Corruption Lies is the actual debut. For me, that's the actual debut of New Order. A lot of what I would consider this record to be is I've always called stuff like this texture work. I don't know why. It just sounds right because it becomes less about verse chorus stuff and more about pulling together a collection of sounds in an interesting way. Well, and I you think, know what I mean? yeah, sure, definitely. And I think it's, you can hear their learning. So they're wanting to do drum machines and uh, pre recorded loops and things. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you just said, like it sounds like collages more than songs. Yeah. Cause they don't really know. It's like you can hear them go, okay, I love this loop. I don't know how to stop it. Like, I don't know where we stop it. So let's just play over it till we're done. And I have, I particularly like records where people are just learning their way around. This one really fits in that sweet spot where it's like they you learned how to play together, okay? Now what? <laughs> and I and I like it as an interesting document too. I I still think I like the band that was right before this much better and I like the band that comes right after this much better as well. Mm-hmm. Um we don't do this much, but I was going to ask your permission, Henry. 
I was going to play a montage of the songs Ceremony, Truth, and Age of Consent, which Ceremony was a single they did right after Joy Division stopped that they didn't include on this record, but it yeah. came right before it. Uh, Truth is the second song on this record, and Age of Consent is the first song on the next record, Power, Corruption, and Lies. So you're going to kind of bleed them together? Yeah, because I think what you can hear when you hear the three of them, you're like, wow, you can hear the transition. This is like a band within less than a year growing, which I think is so interesting about this album because it's right in the middle of their growth spot. All right, cool. So let's, let's put it right here. All right, here we go. progression there um and it's and it's amazing to me that it's less than a year i mean think about how long it- mm-hmm. you know peter <laughs> hook said they were happy with the songs but not with the production if you go on spotify uh, they have what they call the definitive version which is remastered and perfect in your and i'm telling you it thumps really nice in the car okay um but i wonder if the production failed them you know? Well, for me, this is another part of the legend that I think is hilarious. This is the last album that Martin Hannett produced. 
mm-hmm. with the band, they hated Martin Hannett. Not just like his production. They just hated him, and he kind of hated them, which I find really interesting. But I don't think Joy Division's sound would have been their sound without Martin Hannett. I totally disagree with the band. I think he helped make their sound. They learned on this record how to produce so they didn't have to use Martin Hannett anymore, and they right. produced every other record after that themselves. Anyway, this record was was great. You should listen to it. So you are going to recommend it? Duh. I'm not going to recommend it. I can't believe it's not my, weirdly enough, it's not my favorite New Order album. It's my least favorite, and I think it's an interesting record as a transition. But still, if you, to me, it's a big sandwich with it right in the middle. Both Joy Division records are better, and everything that comes after this from New Order is better, um, in my opinion. But this would be... A, a triumph in the hands of, of any other band. Yeah, and I you know? And, and you know, I'm only not recommending it based on their other work. Yeah. There's a band that we both liked a lot that we covered on the last episode called The Sound, mm-hmm. and that record's good. This record's better. There's no Blue Monday here. There's no... No, but this record is still better than most of that stuff. Yeah. It's just not as good as other New Order records. Anyway, <laughs> thumbs up from me. All right, I'm going to give it... A, not. I mean, a thumbs down, but not because I don't like it. You know what See, I mean. that's the trouble with the thumbs up. Thumbs I know, down I know, I know. All right. All right, the next record team we're going to cover, talking about a thumbs down. Um, Rod Stewart's Tonight I'm Yours. And the police are coming to get this motherfucker. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a fire department. Somehow, Henry, this the, was... Call the fire department, because here comes Rod Stewart. Somehow, oh. Henry, this was a Rolling Stone five-star record. Um, and the song I'm going to play is about called all that. <laughs> Young Turks. And just needed you to get to the chorus. That's about it. He yeah. he wanted to fade it out a little early. I asked him to hang in there. Can we just get to the chorus? Don't yeah. bore us. Sure. So I I want to talk because the only song on this album that's interesting to me is this one. <laughs> that's um, weird, enough, right? <laughs> I, I so as a kid, I remember this song as being the keyboard song from Rod Stewart with that little dee dee until listening. Or researching for this podcast, I did not know that's Mark Knopfler doing the guitar. Oh, wait, really? And now it sounds to me like a Dire Straits song. All God that guitar, like uh, call and response, like 
uh, Rod sings a line, and then you hear the guitar go. All that stuff. Okay, now you're not going to hear anything, but. Somehow I thought the hair was cool at some point. (laughs) I don't know why. Do you remember that? When I was younger, I used to do my hair in weird ways. It, It was more Robert Smith than Rod Stewart. Right. Yeah, it was never Rod Stewart. <laughs> but it was like, but I think I thought for for five minutes that it was kind of cool. Rod Stewart was like my mom. My mom loved 80s Rod Stewart. So uh-huh. all of this stuff had a connotation to me that was bad. I think my, but my bigger problem was even with this song was somebody helped him nail a new wave keyboardy sound. Okay. Mm-hmm. To get a hit. Right. I think there's another one on this album, too, that's kind of got the new wavy. Right. Um, and that was a hit, too. Everything else on this record is back to the Faces 70 bar band stuff. Everything about Rod Stewart screams of my parents' sexuality. <laughs> like <laughs> That's not a good thing. The, it, uh, I, can only, I can only look back and say, if you want my body and you think I'm sex, that's my parents' shit. Okay, well, I, that, right? that's, that's an interesting thing, too, because that was his foray into disco right before this album, where yeah, he tries yeah. to go new wave. And <laughs> interestingly not- enough, if you go back and listen to that song, because I, I did for, there's, I don't know if you got the extended version on Spotify, but there's an outtake of that song on this album for yeah. some reason. Yeah, yeah, I got the... Oh my God, it sounds like Disco Rolling Stones. It mm-hmm. sounds a lot like uh, Emotional Rescue Era Rolling Stones. Yes, I did hear that. It, that stuff, his whole presentation kind of creeped me out. So I always... And it carried on into the 80s, like a lot of that middle-of-the-road stuff. Yeah, he gets even more, more like I think, middle-of-the-road. That of the road. Lost yeah. in You yes. and Forever Young... Right, oh, those gosh, songs. Yeah. Right, they totally colored like this downtown crap. train. I want to like this guy, but I can't really look at it objectively. Well, and I don't like a record that obviously tries to put two songs on there with a different like style. It's almost like they treat Rod Stewart like a a crooner from the forties. That's been validated here later in time. I mean, if you, I don't know if you looked into that a little bit, but. He started doing like American songbook. Okay, stuff. right. So that's like he's treated more like this. And there's even a cover on this album, I believe. Um, I didn't which, mean to blow by what you were saying a minute about Downtown no. Train, but say, tell the people what he did. So Tom Wait, there's a Tom Waits song called Downtown Train that obviously sounds, if you listen to the Tom Waits version, like Tom Waits and kind of um, has a lot of, I, to me, it's very poignant. He and Jeff Beck did a cover of Downtown Train, the most middle-of-the-road, like, pop uh, AOR is that do people know yeah, that term AOR kind of like old rocker kind of version of downtown train that actually made Tom Waits more money than any songs he'd ever like any of his own recordings. And so he's always been like defending it, which I think is hilarious. He's always been like, Oh, it's fine. It's, yeah. But that's pretty good. Oh, that's you. really good. That's the all I got. Bit, like two words. That last bit got it right. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> but let me tell you this. Rod Stewart can sing. The guy has a voice, right? Yeah, and, and so I, he's made this enormous career off of off of that. Well, I also it's funny because in my notes, Henry, I also say the rest of this record sounds like normal seventies blues band bar band stuff, which we've been going off on a lot. Yeah. But I, in my notes, I said, but Rod does it better than any of those other bands. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> there is a level of excellence with Rod. It just it's just. In a schlocky genre. <laughs> the, the ba- he picked a lane, right? It just kind of 
mind that and made a whole career out of Did it. Did you ever feel, though, that there was kind of um, a parallel course between he and Elton John through the 80s where they started pandering and losing their 70s, like, rock god status, and they left, lost their artistry? Yeah. And then they both got to, the like, the 2000s and were like, holy shit, I need my credibility Better back. Better grab it back. Somehow. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, then like, started working and doing real credible, trying to do credible records. <laughs> That's true. So I'm not going to recommend this, even if you're a Rod Stewart fan. I, I don't like this record. Just listen to Young Terse. That's a pretty good song. You're going you're gonna to thumbs down it as he well. Actually, yeah, but he actually wrote the lyrics on that song. Oh, did he? Okay. On Young Terse. Well, let's give him, let's give him credit is, for which that. Which is great, because, you know, you, we all often find... These crooner singer guys that don't write. Well, so. we I think we also have a bias against people that don't write uh, their own stuff. So let's mm-hmm. give him credit where credit's due. Yeah. All right. Henry, what's uh, what's going to be our next record? The next record is going to be ooh, a little band called The Cars. Okay. And the album that we're uh, going to consider is called Shake It Up. But we're going to play part of a song called Since You're Gone. The Cars for uh, the record we're going to consider is called uh, Shake It Up. That song was called Since You're Gone. I really like that song. I really like that song, too. Um, You know, so it's hard to consider these Cars albums separate from one another because the songwriting on on all of them is so strong. It's hard to to pick. I think you're forced, at least for me, I'm forced to go with the ones that have the most hits or something. You know, you get from on this record, though, it feels like after you get past that one, this one song, Shake It Up, that it's a little more arty than some of the other ones. Did you pick up on that at all? I didn't feel like it had a different feel than the other ones. And I think yeah. part of that was Henry and I, uh, they bought their own studio. Yeah. And it allowed them on this record to um, individually track as opposed to the last two records where they kind of recorded all together in the same room. Oh, yeah. And I think it did give it a different sound, but guess what? They hated it. They never recorded at that studio again. Really? They didn't like it. And I think, for me, this one and the one before it are kind of a... It's hard, because you're right. I think they build such good, solid They're songs. durable as hell. That it's hard to judge, but they... Do you, did you ever feel... Do you feel... I still feel this today... They have this reputation as being a singles band. Yeah. Like, a lot of people don't listen to their records. Un- unfairly. 
Yeah, the first two yeah. records are great, and I think this one is really good. Um, I don't like the one before this one very much. It's Panorama. The, yeah, it's the most bland. And, of course, the one after this is their their big one. I, it's like at the point where Rick Ocasek knows exactly how to like. To me, it feels like he knows how to manipulate the masses yeah. at that point. He was 37 years old when he made this record. Crazy. I, I mean, mean so- 1981, they hit the scene pretty big, and he's already closing on 40. And I, I didn't think of that as a kid. I didn't think he, I mean, he looked strange, but I didn't think he looked like did you look into my dad his pre-Cars music? No, I should have. I did. So it's one of the, he experimented with other forms, other genres of rock music, you know, even through the 70s, did this band called, if you ever get a chance, World Out There, Milkwood, it was called. Wow, You can okay. find a track on YouTube. It's such like 70s of its time kind of music. <laughs> You know, it, I want to say it's like Crosby, Stills, and Nash type stuff. Well, I wondered about that because, you know, he, if you think about it, Henry, I, he's older than David Bowie. Yeah. He's a contemporary of Bowie, and you're like, you really don't know him in the public eye until 1979, 80, and he's already kind of an older guy. But So then I'm thinking, you're talking about Paulina Poroskova, who became his wife. Did you know he'd already had two wives at that point? <laughs> But um, one of the song songs that I, you know, we talk about Ocasek a lot, but there were other guys in the band. I mean, Benjamin Orr was in there, and he wrote three songs on this record. I happened to like this the one called Cruiser on this one. You like that one? Yes. Yeah, that sounded particularly good, and it was clearly not a Rick Ocasek song. No, and um, I, and and I always felt bad because Benjamin Orr died, mm-hmm. um, and you know, here again, Henry, I thought he died young. But really, those these dudes have been around a long time. I, you know, I mean, he did die young, but he wasn't like in his twenties. He was in his forties. So it was it's a, it's a weird thing for a band to actually hit when they're in their late thirties, especially in the eighties. You know what I mean? Like they, there are bands, are there guys like Rod Stewart that have been around a while and have hits, but you don't really see a band of late thirties guys really start making their mark when they're in their thirties. But and 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 Rick Ocasek, of course, went on to produce a lot of stuff that we kind of liked, and a lot of bands. Uh, indie bands in the 90s but i always felt like he had a really tight grip on what a pop song like he knew how to write yeah, pop song but he was embarrassed by the other bits of it the other bits of, of of being a pop star like he can make real successful songs but from what i'm reading his heart was very much where with like suicide those kind of bands right know, that were not successful that's i mean that's weird when you start being in a band that is successful how you comport yourself to it you know what about if you're in a band what about if you have a superpower but you're you're you don't want to use it yeah exactly (laughs) it's like you're the reluctant hero right but so then i'm I'm left with this one so i'm knowing about different cars records do you give this one the one like the last we looked at ACDC and we said, is is this the one that you want people to listen to with ACDC? Is this it's, the one? This is not the one I want people to hear. It's funny that you say that because I am cars. not going to recommend this one because I'm I not think- either. We just spent like 15 minutes or whatever. We talked about how great the cars were. We didn't really talk about this album because it's, it's just not that great. No, there's three better cars it's, record than yeah. this one. Yeah. But, but, we, but that's the problem is that we've put the cars in. They're such a greatest hits. But man, I see, and I hate to say this because right? I don't like to do that to a band, but their greatest hits record is great. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> they, they have a great greatest hits record. 
Yeah. I, 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 yeah. But what's so bad is to say their other stuff was so good that these perfectly good, you know, not crap songs kind of get the shaft from us because it right. overshadowed, you know, and because we don't really consider them to be an album band. Hey, man, it's a tough show. It's, it's a, a tough, tough room. Show. This one's not going to cut guys. it. Sorry, guys. Anyway, love you. Mean it. So, Henry, this brings us to our last record of the night. It is Men at Work. The album is called Business as Usual. And this song is called, Who Can It Be Now? You've got this look on your face, Henry, so I, I've got a good feeling that we're, we're going in opposite directions on this record. <laughs> I don't know what I, yeah, So I starts. worried about this today. I worried about it today because I, I really love this record. I love everything about this record. I listen to it just in general a lot, and I, I can't quantify it. And I also was sitting there going, if I... If if Henry doesn't like this record, I'm not sure I can defend it. I don't know what it is about it. Why don't we be devil's advocate? I'm going to try to articulate what I think you like about it. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. And I think maybe you could do, you could probably articulate why I don't. Well, I know for a fact you hate horns. Okay. And there's a lot of horns, as you just heard. And, And I know, I think you have developed an appreciation for horns beyond what I have. And I think you like some of the angular guitar work in this. Really like the guitar work. Yeah. I just don't, I don't find it to be as redeeming as you do, probably, for that reason. Also, I have to say, I went and saw Colin Hay about five years ago. Really? Performing by himself. How was that? It was so interesting because he basically talked in between each song about the song Uh and how he wrote it. And he did it in a way I think you would have loved because he would say, you know, I'm not a, I was not a good guitar player when I wrote these songs. So I would tune the guitar so I wouldn't have to play. I'd have open string. Yep. And so he, he like, he, he did all these open tunings, but then it made the song really simple. And he was just doing like three chord progressions with these simple tunings, but they sounded so great. And then, and he was so self-evasing. I think it gave me a second look at this record because mm-hmm. I think my initial, um, Thoughts on this record were, oh, great, uh, the police light. Yeah, Colin Hay sounds like Sting to me, but like trying to be a funny. That's sting. That's a great point. I think I really think that's why I'm not as into them is because I always I found them to be too silly. Right, there's right? a silly element, and I usually don't like that. But then yeah. um, I like Colin Hay a lot, so maybe I, I came back. I watched around that to it. whole movie. I mean, I watched the whole movie. 
you know, and I'm not saying I don't like Colin. I like him as a as a man, just fine. Just- I also want to say I like this next record that they did a lot better than this one, Cargo. Um, Cargo, and I think Cargo gets overshadowed by this one because it was such a massive hit. In fact, this record, and I, Henry, I'm going to make a comparison, and I think you're going to love this record because they were Australian. It kind of it kind of bubbled up and brewed up, and it took it like three years to be huge in the states. So it was like record of the year. It won a Grammy in 1983, even though it was made in 1981. But the funny thing about it, Henry, is uh, it delayed Cargo because it was going so it was going gangbusters, and the record company was like, "Hold off on that next one, boys. We're riding the wave on this one." So Cargo kind of I don't think ever got a fair shot. I think it's a better record, but um, I also think Henry, the comparison I wanted to make with this record was to a band in the 90s called Hootie and the Blowfish that did an album called Cracked Rear View, which if you know the history of, which I think you do. You sound like you're going to start going off on talking good about Cracked Rear View. Well, what I am going to say about Cracked Rear View is they made that record uh, before. Oh, really? Um, in Charlotte, actually. They recorded it in Charlotte, and they it sat around for years, a couple of years, actually, before it actually took off. They re purposed it they kept playing it live they remixed it and everything and called it cracked review it had another name when it was made in charlotte but anyway this this album has that same kind of history where it started out as one thing in australia and then it moved big the other comparison i would make to hooting the blowfish is this minute work album kind of captured that new wave sound but in a very middle of the road. So if you were like yeah, a middle of problem. the road person yeah. and you wanted to get into New Wave, this was a good entry point. And Hootie and the Blowfish, I don't know what the sound was of the mid-90s, but they captured it perfectly. They were the best middle of the road, bullshitty 90s sounding band, which I hated, by the way. But they but, <laughs> but, they, but they captured it so in it the works, same way. It works. For, so you're saying that it worked for this one. It maybe not worked for the other one. Oh, I think it worked for both. I just didn't well, like I mean, the second like you, one. That's what I mean for you. For me, personally, yeah. But so, I think if you're just a regular well, person I mean, and you're we, like, oh, I want to be we cool. We meet here in a weird way because I feel like it's not like digging a ditch. It's not like ear torture, right? But it's like eating, for me, it's like eating the end piece of the bread. I mean, it's it's serviceable. Still bread. It right. It works as bread, but it's mostly like crust. And I mean, you'll eat it if it's the last thing in the bag. Like it's a mistake, or any of these the these songs. What were now the, my my the grandma always cut the crust off my sandwiches, so I wouldn't have eaten it, Henry. <laughs> with that Maybe analogy, that like I, I'll eat the crust if it's, it's, it's all it. That says a lot about us. I'm afraid. What would the the um? Not everybody remembers "Be Good Johnny" like I do. I really wanted to use that okay. as the song that we played, but it didn't get really. It doesn't really get rolling quick enough for our little intro. But why nobody knows it? Don't you remember the "Be Good, Be Good"? So I thought there was, so uh, going into this, I thought you were going to like this record because throughout our history together, there have been times where you've just gone, be good, be good, be good, be good, be good, be good. And I knew exactly what you meant. So I thought you liked it. But I say it in like a silly way. Yeah, but they were silly. Like, and and for some reason it echoes all that shit about happy-go-lucky snappy bits of Genesis. Like, 
I'm, but there is this, and I guess, and again, I think thing. seeing Colin Hay on his own and talk yeah. about the songs, if you listen to these lyrics, there is this underlying anxiety yep. um, that it's almost like he's masking with humor. It's a mistake. It, yeah. And even that, like, who can it be now is like a paranoid. It's it's all about paranoia. But it, but it, that's presented in a way that everyone can love. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, the flutes. Right. I do, I do not want to undersell how big of a hit this album was. Though. It was. It was massive. It went platinum four times. And remember he had that cool jacket? <laughs> I mean, if you can make a flute band cool, that's tough. They got sued, though, for the, uh, for the flute part on that song. Yeah, they did. I forgot and, about that. Um, it was that. The, the the flute goes, Kookaburra sits on the old gum tree. Right. And the guy that played the flute on that, his name was Greg Ham. He wrote one of the cool songs on the album, which is called Helpless Automaton. I actually like that song. Yeah, I like that one too. Problem that Greg, I mean, Greg Ham died in, in 2012, two years after they did that judgment. The people who did the Kookaburra song wanted to extract like 60% of the royalties from the beginning of the song. Right. And the court awarded him like 5% going back. But he, you know, he went on record as saying, you know, he'll be forever remembered as the guy who copied part of a song for their biggest hit. Right. And so um, he died of a heart attack, but there were allegations that he had a long battle with heroin. Wow. And so the, the cause of his death has been debated some. So this is weird sadness when I hear that thing. Right, like, right. You know, you take a picture of these guys at their level best, you know. Um, I like Helpless Automaton. Not a fan of of it, but it's it's not the worst. I mean, you when I give it a thumbs down, it's not like the same thumbs down I'm giving. <laughs> That's what sucks about it. I'm going to give it a, a solid two thumbs up. I love <laughs> Can it. Can you do that? I'm going to listen to it tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to give it a thumbs down, but with an honorable mention. So. Well, Henry, what do you say we uh, call Megan and see what she's up to? Yeah, give her a call. All right. Um, all right, are you ready to go? Yeah, um, actually, I'm drinking some whiskey this time what so, he yeah. asked me um, to, he asked me to take some whiskey and i said no why <clears throat> i have to work tomorrow it's you know? professional i have to work tomorrow too <laughs> yeah. we're all adults here <laughs> yeah. it hits me a lot harder i mean i'm not you. like getting smashed or anything i'm just having a little bit moderation well, well perfect because the first record i'm gonna ask you about okay. are you ready yeah. ACDC's For Those About to Rock. Chris gave it a thumbs up. I gave it a thumbs down. Where do you come in? You know what? I'm going to have to give it a thumbs up because, like, anytime with ACDC, like, I pretty much enjoy, honestly, any ACDC album. And I'm going to be, like, a little bit of a contrarian here because I feel like most people say they prefer Bond Scott. Uh-huh. But I think I actually prefer is it um, Brian James? No, Brian Johnson. I always yeah. want to say Brian Jones. I'm like, no, that's no, the wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but Black I, and Black is their biggest record, so I, I do, I do kind of agree with you that Chris chose for Brian Johnson's got a he's got a following for sure. He gave it a thumbs up because it's about his childhood. I said you need to go back to Back in Black. This is yeah, all right, like, but it ain't all that. <laughs> I think that if I'm going to listen to ACDC, it's probably not going to be like this 
particular album, it would be just like back in black. Like I'm just going to go with like the full on like classic. But it's solid. It's solid stuff. It is. I liked your answer. All right. Well, tell us okay. about what you think about New Order's movement. Of course, Henry oh, thumbs up it, and I thumbs downed it. Of course, you did. You, you well, know, so you know the right, we, you know the right <laughs> answer, though, Megan, don't you? I've got some opinions. Like, obviously, I'm a total sucker for New Order and Joy Division. So, like, and I will say. I was heavily biased, but like I love like all of New Order records, like Enjoy Division Two. I mean, they only had two records, so not that much to choose from. It just amazes me whenever I re-listen to Movement, like how much. Um, I think Bernard Sumner, he was still trying to kind of sound like Ian Curtis, right? Like he does not sound like that at all, like in later New Order. I think that's so kind of why I ixnated was because to me it is a transition. I think if they'd have taken a breather and found their way, I gave it a yeah, thumbs was, up for that. Like because I, I like that transition stuff. Yeah, and to yeah. do that in yeah. that time frame, this quality of work like that is incredible to me because like a lot of bands I feel like would just absolutely fall apart. Right, after let me ask like you that. this, Megan: if this was mm-hmm. if if you're recommending a New Order record to somebody that had never heard New Order. Would you recommend this one? This wouldn't be the first one. No, no of course not. not. It would not. It'd probably be the last one, right? Mm, eh, I don't know. I really like. Rules. I think I it, really like technique because I feel like that was like their absolute peak. You know, I mean, I like their later stuff too, but like that your, album. Technique is your favorite. Chris, what's your favorite? Uh, Power corruption line. Minus brotherhood. How about Rod Stewart's "Tonight I'm Yours," Henry? <laughs> hated this record yeah and i really disliked it <laughs> you know okay so my thing with rod stewart who has always looked like a cockatiel <laughs> like even when he was young i was like looking at pictures of him earlier and i'm like you have always he kind of like he still looks like that now just like an old cockatiel <laughs> um i really like young turks like i like that song it's all there is to talk about on this record yeah this record's me Thumbs really? down, roundly hated. Okay, yeah, that one, and we all hate <laughs> I didn't that say one. I hated it, but like, Dislike. I'm indifferent about it. In the garbage. Okay. Okay. The cars. Shake, Shake it, it up. up. <laughs> we both thumbs downed it. A yeah, qualified I mean, like, thumbs down, right? I really like um, Since You're Gone. Like, that's one of my favorite car songs. But again, it's like only one song. And the record as a whole is like probably not their strongest work. Like, I mean, the title track is fun, but it's also kind of stupid and annoying. I would like, say when all three of us have the same, same thing, I would say that's the definitive. We have come up. Review. Right. I mean, we are still, we still got it, Chris. Yeah, we still got it. We're mm-hmm. matching, yep. we're matching up with the uh, millennials. All right. So the, last- I don't know how with it I am, <laughs> but and I mean- well, tell me about your thoughts on business as usual by men at work. I gave it, Two thumbs up. And, and I gave it a thumbs down. Henry hated it. Really? Um, see, I really like, I think his name is Colin Hayes. Is that the lead singer? Yep. <laughs> he's um, I really he's like, like his, grinning over here. <laughs> well, I really like his voice. And this album, like, this has to be their biggest album, right? Because it had Down Under on it. Yeah, it's their biggest album by far. Okay. I could live without... I'd be fine with never hearing that song again, just because I've heard it so many times. Like, Ooh. not saying it's a bad song, but goddamn, right. I can't, I can't listen to it again. 
Not the song's and fault. Actually, Continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, I think the best song on this album, and it's a song that shows how to do the saxophone right in a song, Take Note, Quarter Flash, if there's anybody <laughs> remaining from the band, um, is Who Can It Be Now? Like, I think that's, like, one of my favorite Men at Work songs, which is, like, equally, like, it's played a lot on the radio, but I don't know. I just like it better than Down Under. So, Megan, tell us, is there anything else we need to know about what's going on with you and let the people know how they can get in touch with you? Um, oh, my God. So, because we're talking about New Order, like, since the last time I recorded like my segment on um, the new order and pet shop boys tickets, like, or that tour right. was announced, which I'm super pumped for. And I, um, I got tickets for my friend and I, so we're going to go to Chicago. Well, you'll have to let us know how it goes. It'll be here before I know it. So that's, right. that's all I really had. Um, as far as like social media and stuff, um, obviously for our page is at eighty three seven four on Instagram at 80s Exposed on Twitter, and then 80s Music Exposed on Facebook as well. Um, and then my personal handle is Bastards of Young 92 on Instagram, and then Megan Maddox on Facebook, which I have received some friend requests from people nice. that listen to the show. Oh, that's yeah. great. One up yeah, on me. I, <laughs> All right, so. great. Well, thanks, and we'll talk to you for December of 1981 next week, and mm-hmm. um, get ready for oh, that big... to reiterate... My recommendation for the month is Movement by New Order. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we needed to ask you that. So Movement by New Order is your pick of the month. Absolutely. I have to. I'm sorry. I like it. I like it. I disagree, but I like it. And uh, we'll see you for December, which will be, then we'll be on to our year-end show, which I'm looking forward to. Golly, is it already? Yeah, we're already there. Dang, come. Yep. Yeah, move fast. I know. All right, Megan, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Good to talk to you. Sounds good. Bye, guys. Take care. So your pick of the month. Oh, I man. don't know what you're gonna do. Oof, I don't either. This is I, you crazy know what month. I'm gonna do. But I'm gonna go with uh, for those about to rock by ACDC as my pick of the month. Right, you're going for the nostalgia. Uh, oh come on, this whole show's about <laughs> nostalgia. What are you talking about? That's a cheap <laughs> shot, man. Of course, you're gonna go for the already best fucking revered critical album of all time. Do yourself a favor. Take a kid fishing. Listen to New Order of Movement. <laughs> you sure you don't want to reconsider Rod Stewart's Tonight I'm Yours? Uh, All right, there you have it. Two recommends for Movement by New Order and one for the Power Chords of ACDC. Thanks for listening. And Henry, I do want to plug, because I'm so excited about it. After December, of course, we'll do our year-end show. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have, hopefully, uh, Greg Levin, our producer, will be live in studio with us so he can give his picks for the year. And, of course, we'll call Megan again and get hers. And we'll go over all of our favorite uh, horn breaks from 1981. <laughs> the, the, the hell hell hole. <laughs> Henry goes to hell episode. Yeah. If you uh, want to want to tweet our show producer, Greg Levin, if you like the way that we sound, you can talk to him at Urban Dweller on Instagram, U-R-B-N-D-W-E-L-L-R, or in, at NBC Greg on Twitter. We're thankful to have him on the team. And Chris, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape. 